Are you looking for hope? Then you're in the right place. If you're not, well, you're still in the right place because we all need hope. Welcome to the Shine and Delight podcast. We hope to navigate life's storms together as we encourage and build up one another to find true saving hope in the only one that can truly satisfy. We can't fix your problems, but we'll definitely point you towards someone who will. Come along. I don't know how, how do we welcome dude, welcome to Shine and Delight. It's good to be here. Neville usually does the intros. I'm tagging in today. But well, we got Neville in the booth. I'm Ro. Then we got our boss Josiah. Come on, man. I'm excited yeah. to be here. Thank you for having me. We're excited to have you here. Uh, you are. Why don't you tell us a little bit about where we know you from? We all serve at the porch. Do you want to take a second and just kind of talk about what that is, how we know you? Yeah, man. So I met you guys uh, by serving at the porch, and we are obviously serving together there. But I have the privilege of uh, being on staff there yeah. and uh, doing that for a full-time job. Ministry is such a blessing. And about two years ago, July of 19, 2019, I came on staff with the Watermark Church specifically to work with young adults through the porch ministry. And so that's how we all connected. I think I did both of your interviews before you came on oh, yeah. to start serving and uh, really is an honor. So, Neville, Ro, thanks. Thank it's, you so uh, much. It's yeah. neat to see how God is continuing to uh, use young adults to accomplish his mission. I mean, our mission statement at the porch is surrender to God. We are changing the world through the lives of young adults. And I love that because it doesn't say through the lives of paid professionals. Yeah. And I'm far from a professional, trust me. Uh, didn't even go to seminary. Uh, we're sitting in a seminary right now, Dallas Theological, which is an incredible seminary. I call it the, the Harvard of seminaries. Many would disagree, but it is a phenomenal seminary. But I'm not a seminary guy. Uh, and it's amazing that God can still use uh, a wretch like me. And to accomplish his purposes uh, in spite of who I am and who I was before Christ. And so I love that mission statement because it's, it's what we're called to do. Yeah. Yeah. We are called to change the world through the lives of young adults. And uh, that only happens when we're surrendered to him. Yeah. And so it's not just about paid professionals doing all the work. It's about us equipping the saints, Ephesians 4, uh, 11 through 13, mm-hmm. where God, he's, God says, I've called some to be apostles, prophets, teachers, evangelists. And he says, man, I've called and pastors to, for, for, what, for what purpose? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And that's what we try to do every week is to mobilize the people who aren't the so-called paid professionals to go and accomplish his work. Cool. One yeah. of the things that one of our mutual friends, David Marvin, once said is he said if, if the Jesus were around today and he were picking 12 disciples, it would look a lot like the people who are at the porch. Mm. Single, young adults, all different walks of life, all different ethnicities, all different backgrounds, yet they're all humbly serving Christ. Absolutely. Yeah. And here's why I think this is important, because many young adults walk into the church, they sing some songs, they listen to a message, and at the core of every person, they're asking, can God use me? And when we don't give them a vision uh, for God using them, mm-hmm. then they just look at who's on stage, whether it's David Marvin, JP, whoever, JD, right, um, who's teaching the messages, or Shane and Shane who's leading wor- worship, or Davy Flowers who's lead- leading worship at, at the porch, Hayden Browning. You know, I'm just dropping names now, yeah. right? But they look at these people, yeah. and they're like, well, if I can't sing like him, if I can't teach like him, I guess God can't use me. And that's a lie. From the pit of hell, yeah. like Satan wants that. Uh, Satan wants young adults to believe that, so it cripples them to do nothing. Yeah. 
And so we have a phrase that we say, hey, ministry off the stage is just as important, if not more important, than ministry on the stage. Amen. And you don't have to have the gift of teaching or the gift of leading worship or, you know, playing an instrument to be used by God. And so there's hundreds of young adults that God's using every Tuesday night who are deployed to be pastor to their to be pastors to their peers, yeah. to be expert evangelists, to know how to have, have spiritual conversations, yeah. to know how to have a host mentality versus a guest mentality. And God's using them every week to change the world. So, it's, man, it's a real privilege. It's actually that's actually kind of a good segue because <clears throat> like one of our, one of my jobs at the porch is to talk to people who want to get plugged into the church. And so after the message, after you know the songs, and after everything. They just want to get plugged into the church. They come up to, we call it the loft and, you know, they just talk to us. How do I become a member? A lot of it's logistical, but a lot of it is you keep talking about the gospel. I don't know what that is. Can you please explain it to me? And I see teachers, engineers, salesmen, nurses, you know, people who have a regular day job who are just coming up, spending a few hours on a Tuesday night, just sharing the gospel with people and just ministering to people. And it's just, it's an amazing thing to see. And it, it kind of segues into what we're talking about because we're talking about identity. And a lot of times, a lot of times we can be identified with, you know, I'm a doctor, I'm an engineer, I'm a lawyer, I'm a, I'm a salesman. Yet people who are pursuing Christ with all they have, they're saying, no, I'm identified with Christ. And I am not a doctor. I am a Christian who happens to be a doctor. I'm a pastor who happens to be a doctor and I'm on mission at all times. And so, so that's kind of where we are. We're in this, we're starting this new series about identity. And so Josiah, we are pumped to have you help us kick that off. Really? Yeah. But yeah. So in, in your words, how would you define identity? What do you think that means? Great question. Well, the definition of identity, Merriam Webster would describe it as this. The fact of being who or what a person or thing is. So it's uh, when I think about identity, it's who you are. Yeah. At the core of who you are. Like if you were to cut me open metaphorically, what would I bleed, right? Yeah. You know, would I bleed sports? Would I bleed fashion? Would I bleed my job? Yeah. Would I, what would I bleed at the end of the day? Like, would I would I bleed? Um, hey, this is who my, my marriage is. Who I am. My paycheck is who I am. You know, my relationships with my guys is who I am. You know, this. You know, my body is who I am. Yeah. Right. At the at the core of who a person is, I think that's what identity is. Yeah. And what are you like? What are you known by too? I mean, there's a verse. I, yep. I, I wrote it down, but I didn't quote the the address. But it says, "I called it the jersey of a Christ follower," and it's compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Yeah. Like when you are identified by Christ, that is the jersey that you're wearing. That's yeah. what Christ is ultimately leading us to become. And would you say that's the biblical definition of what an identity is? Because I think, in my opinion, uh, my identity, as I see it, is my analysis of self as influenced by self. Mm-hmm. others and the factors around me so things that i do my friends or what they speak into my life and how they you know convince me into believing that i am you know a certain way and all that stuff how i do at school and all that yeah, yeah. That, that sounds exhausting i'm not gonna lie to you i mean <laughs> simone biles i don't know if you saw this josiah but simone biles when she had you know she had to withdraw from the olympics because she was dealing with a lot of emotional stuff and mm. she said you know she gets all this support and then she said after all of that it was so great to finally know that I'm not defined by my accomplishments. Mm. Absolutely. And I read that and I'm like, this is the greatest gymnast in history. And yet she struggles with the same stuff that we struggle with. Wow. She defines herself by her accomplishments and she has all these gold medals. And yet it's still just this anxiety that that is crushing her because she was defined by her accomplishments. And I just, I look at that and you're like, can you imagine how exhausting that is? Oh yeah. To be defined by your accomplishments. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. 
And and that's a, that's a really miserable place to be because, uh, you know, if you define yourself by those things, it's kind of like styrofoam. Yeah. It's going to slowly disintegrate <laughs> at some point. Right. That's good. And, uh, and I, and I think that's part of all of our stories in some way, right. That we, we were defined by our bench press mm-hmm. or there, we were defined by our sport yeah. or we were defined by this girl. Yeah. And, uh, we all know at the core that we're, we're made for more Yeah. yeah. because we're, 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 uh, we're creative beings. So you and I actually kind of have a similar story, and I think that's why we, we clicked whenever you interviewed me for the porch, because you played baseball at East Texas Baptist. I played at Hendricks College. We actually, you know, those two teams play each other we still played today. played each other, yeah. And so we both kind of struggled we with the same. We beat y'all, by the way. We did, yeah. No, <laughs> yeah, it did not yeah, go we, well. <laughs> I mean, but, hey, we're we're pretty I'm, – I'm, yeah. I'm kind of the old sage of uh, – of that that baseball career, I'm, I've stepped away a long time ago. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it did not go well when we played the Tigers a couple years ago. Anyway, um, the Tigers, by the way, East Texas Baptist University, not Clemson Tigers, not LSU Tigers. We are the Tigers, East Texas Baptist. But yeah, that's right. So, have you heard of them? You and I, we kind of had to, we kind of struggled with the same thing in defining ourselves by our sport and our performance on the field. I don't know how you did on the field. I didn't, you know, we didn't look up your stats, but I was a bust. Like by all accounts in college, I was a bust. I did not perform nearly as well as I thought I was going to. I rode the bench most of my career. And so it kind of God brought me to my knees and mm. he, he kind of used that that failure to say, are you identified by your ERA? Are you defined by your wins? Or What's an ERA? Earn run, earn run is average. Okay. I, just, I was a pitcher. Just, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Clarify um, that for all my ladies yeah. that are listening right now. Yeah. <laughs> And the veil, yeah, the, and the veil, and the veil. The Englishman on the on the in the booth, but yeah, I, he's like, are you defined by your stats or are you defined by Christ? And it finally got to it finally got me to a point where I was at peace, knowing you know if I only throw one inning this entire season, but I can help lead my teammates to Christ or I can minister to my teammates, that's a success because mm-hmm. I'm identified by Christ, not by my stats. Mm-hmm. So what do you what do you think about that? Like, what, why do you think that so many people in our generation struggle with identity and find themselves defined? By their accomplishments well i think it all goes back to the garden yeah. the garden of eden genesis chapter three i mean before that everything was perfect we were in harmony with god a right relationship with our creator uh and then when oh sorry no, the phone call come through put that on mute but when everything uh when when sin entered the world that sent creation into chaos so the identity that man had with god this this incredible vertical relationship mm-hmm. right standing mm-hmm. um, was shattered when Adam stood passively by and watched his wife eat that fruit yeah. on the tree right yeah and everything went haywire since then you know we we have been searching finding uh, to no end mm-hmm. to no real satisfaction uh, our brokenness from that one sin. Yeah. in the garden because yeah. before that man every, I mean God created everything to be perfect but he wanted to give humanity a choice mm-hmm. um, I think uh, in order for a man to have a choice uh, God had to put um, that 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 tree in the garden he had to say hey this one this one tree don't eat from and when they ate from it it sent creation to chaos mm-hmm. and so uh, when our relationship with our creator fell mm-hmm. When that became fractured, when that became broken, so did our identity and everything else. Yeah. I always say, hey, um, you know, sin is, or all suffering is a result of sin. Yeah. Not a broken God. Yeah. He created everything to be perfect, but he gave man a choice. 
they ate the fruit. Don't blame Adam and Eve. You would have done the same. I would have done the same, right? Yeah. In that moment. And so that's that's why I think, man, we struggle with identity day in and day out. Am I enough? You know, um, or hey, do I think that this car is going to be enough? Do I think that this iPhone is going to be enough? Do I think that this relationship is going to be enough? And we find out quickly yeah. it never is. It's never enough. Yeah. And I think uh, this, I mean, it didn't start today. You know, when you go back to after the men had been kicked out of the Garden of Eden, you have Cain and Abel, right? Mm -hmm. And so they present their sacrifices to God. And then Cain, I think what he presented was just some leaves and stuff. And the uh, sacrifice that Abel presented to God was pleasing to God. Mm -hmm. And then what does Cain do? He gets rid of his brother because he feels as if, no, why does God love him more? You know, why does that? And I think that brings us back to this whole comparison thing, right? If Rod drives a great truck, why am I driving this Acura? That's old, right? I want that and I want it now. And then I start comparing myself, right? And in my eyes, I'm like, okay, I want to be like that. And so because of that, you know, I get lost into these thoughts, you know, which are very depressive. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really what um, that um, catalyzes the whole identity crisis. I actually heard a quote. It wasn't, uh, it's not biblical. It's from a psychologist. And he said, if you are tempted to be jealous of someone, ask yourself if you would be willing to trade their entire life for yours. Yes. And so, for example, I can look at Tom Brady, you know, worth $500 million, seven Super Bowl rings, supermodel wife mansions all over the world. And I could say, I could easily be jealous of Tom Brady, but then I would ask myself, would I be willing to trade all of my life for his? Mm. Which means I would have to give up my parents. I would have to give up my friends. I would have to give up my relationship with Christ. And I'm not willing to give up those things. Mm -hmm. And so yeah, Tom Brady's got seven Super Bowl rings and it's very easy for me to compare my life to his and feel inadequate. But at the end of the day, I've got a great God. I have eternal riches stored up for me because of what Jesus did for me on the cross. You know what Tom Brady said after the third Super Bowl? I think I think I know what you're gonna. I think I know what you're gonna say he, here. He did an interview with 60 Minutes, yeah. and uh, he said, "Why do I feel like I have everything, and I still wonder, gosh, what el what else out there is there for me?" And he and the and the interviewer asked him, "What do you think it is?" He says, "Gosh, I wish I knew. Yeah, I wish I knew." Right. And it's like, Tom, hey, I got you, bro. I'm going to wave my hands up. You know, I'm going to, you know, let you know it's yeah. it, these things aren't going to last. These things aren't going to fulfill. And so there's countless examples yeah. that we have from Hollywood or, you know, professional athletes yeah. that will uh, let us know that it's not going to be enough. But some something in us is still broken and that something in us is sin that we still think there's life there. Yeah. Proverbs 14, 12 says, there's a way that seems right to man, but that way ends in death. Mm -hmm. Je uh, Jeremiah 17, 9, I believe says, uh, or three, it's in 17 is the chapter. It says, the heart is deceitfully wicked. Mm -hmm. Who can know it? Yeah. You know, it, it's like, who can know it? God can know it. Yeah. And so when God isn't your filter, when he's not the standard, when he's not the one that you um, allow to filter your thoughts and your beliefs and your, your view of life through, then everything's going to be broken. Yeah. So like we said earlier, we work with young adults at the porch and, you know, we're in Dallas. It's a very, economically, it's a booming city. And so we meet people every single week that they're living in uptown, which is like, if you're not from Dallas, that is where you want to be. If you're a young adult in Dallas is an uptown, mm -hmm. it's the coolest place. You know, they drive the Tesla, they have the six figure salary. They have, you know, they're wearing expensive clothes when they come to the porch, they've got everything going for them. 
how do you look at that guy and say, you should not be defined by your success. You should be defined by Christ. How do you give that guy hope? Because I mean, it's very tempting when you're in that situation to say, I've got everything going for me. I'm identified by all the success. Why do I need Jesus? Mm -hmm. That's a great question. I mean, many times uh, it comes down to asking them just really simple questions like, hey, do you do you really think that's going to fulfill you? Yeah. Okay. Why do you think it's going to fulfill you? Or why do you not think it's going to fulfill you? You know, how long have you been living this life knowing that the next thing isn't going to fulfill you? Because if it did, then why are you on your eighth iPhone? Uh, why do you want that so bad? Or, you know, you, you, you thought the Ford Mustang was a nice car. You know, you thought that was the end goal. But now you need a Ferrari, right? It's like there's always going to be something else. Yeah. It's like where does that come from? You know, like trying to appeal to, you know, the heart of a man, you know, that that we're all wired for more. And so and then just asking, like, at the end of the day, you know, where do you think we come from? You know, who 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 defines us? You know, I, I love what uh, I'm going to read you an excerpt in just. Uh, this book lead it's by a guy named Paul David Tripp and he he's it's just brilliant I mean it goes back to what I was saying about the fall but he just says this on uh, a chapter he does on identity it says this since the fall people looked horizontally for what they were designed to find vertically so vertical that's your relationship with Jesus horizontal that's your relationship with everyone else they ask people places and things to do for them what only identity in the Lord can do and what people fail to understand is that wherever you look for identity will then exercise rulership over your heart and in doing so will direct the way you live your life. Things that were never meant to be sources of human identity become just that, creating endless layers of difficulty and brokenness. So, for example, a job is a wonderful provision uh, from God, but if it becomes your identity, you will leave regularly unhappy and will destroy your family. Mm-hmm. Right, because then you'll just you'll, you'll just work, you know, endless amount of hours and put your family on the altar of sacrifice mm-hmm. to work those hours under the banners like I just want to provide more for my kids than what I was provided for. Yeah, right. You can always find that's that's the that's the deceitfulness of man. The heart is deceitfully wicked. Jeremiah seventeen. Right. Mm-hmm. No one's lied more to you than you have. Dang. Wow. Yeah. No one has lied more to you. No one's lied more to me than myself. And so we are uh, creatures of justifying because we think we know what's best. And so who's ever sitting on the, on the throne of your heart will determine your identity. Mm-hmm. And so if your job's on the throne of your heart, that's what's going to determine your identity. If your sport is on the throne of your heart. I mean, there's people, I was played, you know, four years of baseball, mm-hmm. you know, in college and played a little bit after. And uh, I just remember... Um, you know, signing my first professional baseball contract. Went through spring training. People were getting cut that last week, especially the last two days, coming into the clubhouse. And people were at their lockers weeping because everything they worked so hard for disintegrated in a moment of you were no longer on this team. You got cut. You didn't make the roster. And so not that we're emotional beings, but Mm -hmm. this was a, Hey, what am I going to live for now? Yeah. Like the ground was like moved underneath their feet because their identity was the baseball, this sport, which was taken away in a moment. Right. And so uh, this is what he's saying. Hey, a job is great. A sport is great. 
But if it becomes your identity, it will leave you unhappy and will destroy you or your family Mm -hmm. if you put it in the wrong place. And then he goes on and says, your marriage is a significant human relationship or your boyfriend, girlfriend, those of you single that are listening right now. But if it becomes your identity, you will ask your spouse or your girlfriend, boyfriend to be your personal Messiah, placing on your girlfriend or boyfriend spouse a burden that he or she will never be able to bear. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was single for a long period of my life. I mean, 31 years of age is when I got married. This, well, how, how old are y'all? I'm 24. 24? 22. Gosh, spring chickens, man. <laughs> right? But it was, in the, it was in those years where, man, I, I, I believed the lie. Mm-hmm. That if I would just have a girlfriend, you know, if I'd just be married, that would satisfy me. And we look for things that we think will satisfy us. And all all along, it's like no, you can't ask for a, you can't ask something else to satisfy you, um, because Jesus is the only one that will do that. And and sometimes, man, it's a it's you got to live and learn. It's like I got I got to go through the gauntlet of hard knocks to find out that what what God says is is true. And so for a long time, I would just jump from one relationship to the next. Next, it's part of my story you know, sexual morality is part of my story. And finally just was broken to realize, man, God, what you're trying to do is you're trying to show me that you're the only relationship that can fulfill me. Mm -hmm. And in those years of being single, I finally realized that, you know what, man, that's true. And so when, when, when disappointment comes, when heartache comes, when um, circumstances of life come, who am I going to run to? If you don't learn to run to Jesus, in your single years, then you're going to put your wife or your husband when you get married on the altar of your worship. And you're going to think that they're going to fulfill you in those moments where only Jesus was meant to fulfill you. So let me ask you this, because you talked about how you finally got to a point where you realized that God was trying to tell you that he was enough and he was yeah. the only thing that satisfied. Why don't you kind of take a, a minute or two and just tell us, you know, who were you, who were you before Christ, before you figured that out? How did Jesus teach you that? How did he introduce himself to you? And then what has life been like since he's introduced himself to you? Yeah, man. So pre-Christ or BC, I would say, right? Before Christ, I, uh, you know, I come from divorced parents. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that is a story in and of itself. But one of the hardest things I ever dealt with was going through divorce. It It was a really hard divorce, nasty one, just a lot of baggage there. Um, but then went and lived with my dad and we never got plugged back in the church, kind of grew up in a Christian home, had some of the foundation embedded in me, but then I saw it all unravel and it spiraled out of control quick. And so everything that I learned, I was like, wow, this is, we're not responding the way I learned. Uh, dad never got plugged back in the church. He backslid. That means he walked away from his faith. And then I found myself living with uh, a stepmom and her kids, so a blended family. And then uh, really, man, sl- slow fade from there. Went to public school, uh, started drinking, doing just different drugs, uh, partying. Baseball became like, okay, that's what's going to fulfill me. That's that's going to be the path that uh, gives me the joy and the peace that I'm looking for. Went off and played college baseball, and I was having one of the best years. Our story is a little bit different. I was having one of the best years of my life, mm-hmm. ranked number seventh in the nation, uh, and you know, life for the party. 
Uh, everything I was working so hard for is finally starting to fall into place. The popular guy. And I say that in all humility because that's what the world says. If you get that, you're going to find success. You're going to be happy. You're going to find fulfillment. And it was the complete opposite. Had the girlfriend. And uh, I got off the bus from playing a three-game series. And I went back to my apartment. And my roommates, also my teammates, were getting ready to go out to the party. And I said, guys, I'm taking this one off. And uh, I asked myself the question, is that it? Because if these things aren't going to fulfill me anymore, what's going to do it? And so the Tom Brady, is that it? Like, gosh, there's got to be something more, right? That was me. And uh, But the difference was that that night, I just said, God, if you're real, you got to reveal yourself to me. Mm-hmm. And so that night over, and over the next few days, he started revealing my sin for what it is in light of a holy God. Before, man, I would just rationalize, justify my sin. I would compare my life to everyone else, even people in the church. When you do that, you can always find someone who's worse than you, which gives you security in the fact that you're not that bad. Mm-hmm. And so when I stopped comparing my life to everyone else and started comparing my life to Jesus, who's holy, who's perfect, right? I know knew I was far from that. My mouth was stopped of all justification. Wow. And I finally said, wow, I believe I'm a sinner now. And I don't believe that, that that sin that was poured out on Jesus, that wrath that was poured out on Jesus, the sin that he died for, um, the people he died for, that's not just other people. That's me. Mm-hmm. It became personal to Josiah. The cross became personal to me. But I understood my need for the cross because I understood that I was a sinner separated from God for all of eternity. Wow. And so the cross became huge in my life. And I cried out to God. I said, God, I'm a sinner and I need your saving. And I believe that there's nothing I can do, no amount of good works, no amount of religion, no amount of uh, me trying to clean my life up because I've done, I tried to do that before and it, it never worked. And I realized that when I surrendered to him, I asked him to forgive me of my sin, put my faith and trust in what he did, not what I have done in the past. That's what saved me. And then obviously through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there's power, right? He's, he proved to the world that he defeated sin and death. Yeah. And when you put your faith and trust in that kind of God, he gives you the power through the Holy Spirit of God who he com- comes to live in us, right? The Bible says dwells in us, our mortal bodies. He gives us the power to defeat sin. Not living this perfect life, but there's a conviction, right, that comes over us after we sin. That, I never had conviction. I had guilt. Mm-hmm. I always say guilt and conviction are two different things. Guilt is something you can suppress and kind of throw underneath the rug and keep doing whatever you want. Yeah, you feel bad because you have a conscience and all that kind of stuff, but you you find ways to keep doing what you want to do. Yeah. But when conviction comes, man, you have no choice but to deal with the sin wow. and fight against it. And that's what happened in my life. And he changed everything. But, you know, it's the tension between the already and the not yet. I'm saved by grace through faith, not of myself. It's a gift from God so that no man may boast. There's nothing I can do. Mm-hmm. That's a free gift. He gave that to me. But then, and that's the already. That's salvation. But the not yet is like sanctification, growing every day to become more like Christ. Mm-hmm. And that's a process, bro. Oh. That's a journey. That's a marathon, not a sprint. And so, man, I'm, I'm still far from who I want to be. But I look back and I'm like, man, 15 years ago. I'm not who I was. Yeah. And that's a that's a good sign. So I'm actually really glad you brought that up because the guy who shared the gospel with me, his name's Colin Raddick, and he had a similar story to you. Mm. He was the first Hendricks player to get drafted. Wow. He's an absolute dude. He was like a three time All American or something ridiculous. The Cardinals picked him up in, you know, like the twentieth round or something. So he went really high. And then he was just killing it in in double A ball. And uh, you know, he had had he got to a point in his college career where he was just 
all over the field. I mean, he was getting all these awards. And then he, he the D3 equivalent of the Golden Spikes, like the MVP. Wow. And he said, uh, he's like, there's got to be there's got to be something more. And that's when Jesus introduced himself to him. And then he spent the rest of his college career becoming more like Christ, discipling others. When he was in spring training, he would come back to work out with us before he had to go to spring training. And uh, he, the, he shared the gospel with me. So he was already graduated, but he shared the gospel with me, had a huge impact on my life. And one of the things he told me was, he quoted uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17, anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone. Behold, the new has come. Wow. And he, when he quoted, me, quoted that verse to me, he said that in early church tradition, when they baptized people in the Jordan River, they would have an overcoat on. And so when they went underwater, they would shed that overcoat and then the overcoat would float away. And he said that was a symbol of your old self going away. It was mm. Like the, the old part of you is dead. I think in Galatians 2, it says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ in me. And so it's like that similar story where you look back on where you were 15 years ago and you were a different person. And, you know, likewise for everyone else who's in Christ, when you look back on who you were a year ago, you were a different person. And I'm very curious, how does the difference come about? Is it just, okay, I used to struggle with lust, now I don't. I used to be an addict, now I don't. Could you kind of clarify more on that for someone who might be? Yeah, the difference is uh, there's broken patterns of sin in my life, yeah. you know. And, uh, and so by God's grace, I don't struggle with drunkenness anymore and run into the party. Uh, I think there, you know, there's a propensity for me to go back there. If I, you know, if I get caught up in a weak moment, if I am not abiding with Christ and if I'm not loving him more every day, right? If I don't have accountability in my life, there's, there's a propensity for all of us to never get to a point where like, man, I'm above the sin level. I'm never going back there. It's like, bro, that, that's, that's when you should be really, really careful. We never graduate. Right. We never graduate from the gospel and we never arrive on this side of eternity. Yeah. And so there's even, you know, places in my heart that you know, lie, like I lie to myself and it's like, man, guys, I'm struggling with this, whatever this is, whatever it's lust or, man, I would like to go back to the party. Or I would like to drink a little bit more. What, you know, what, I, I want to, uh, you know, exercise my rage or my anger in a, in a disrespectful way. And it's just like, man, the way that I defeat that, the way I cut that off is not just waiting for it to become an action, but confessing it on a, on a thought level. Not just waiting for me to commit that sin, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's like James 5, 16. Confess your sin one to another. Pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Mm -hmm. And so constantly confessing sin is, is the key. And, and not just on an action level, again, on a thought level, is the key to defeat sin. And then making sure that man, I'm, I'm not just going through the disciplines of the faith without making sure that they lead back to the heart of God. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't want to just check a box. I don't want to just read my Bible if it's not stirring my affection for Christ. So before I open my Bible, it's like, God, I want to know you more. Not so I can just check a box and say I read my Bible today. I want to know you in, in a way where, I, where, where it causes me to love you more. Because mm -hmm. if I'm not loving you more, I'm loving something else. You know, I'm loving my sin more. Yeah. That's how I defeat it. And so... Um, but I never, I never say, yeah, I'll never struggle with that again. That's, that's foolish thinking, yeah. you know? So I actually, I have to run a class, but I do want to run through a couple of the notes I made because we're talking about identity. Yeah. So I want to talk about what it means to have an identity in Christ. We are created in God's image, image 
on purpose. Genesis one twenty seven tells That's us that. That's huge, man. When we be, when we uh, are identified with Christ, we are a new creation, like we just said. First Peter two nine says that we are a cho- we are chosen by God and we are a royal priest. We are a royal priesthood. Jeremiah one five says that before we were stitched together in the womb, God knew us. He made us on purpose. Mm. Galatians two twenty. When we are with Christ, it is no longer I who lives, but Christ in us. We are the branches; He is the vine. We completely are dependent on Him. We are children of God. John one twelve tells us that. We're told to deny ourselves, as Luke nine twenty three through twenty seven says, and just live in perfect submission to Jesus. Um, and then, like I said earlier, the jersey of a Christ follower, the thing that that marks us ultimately. Compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. And just in quick uh, conclusion, I, I remember the very first time I met Josiah and I was uh, being interviewed to serve on the porch, right? And we had this excellent conversation, uh, told my story and all that. And then he asked me, hey, so on a scale of one to 10, if you are to die tonight, I'll show you that you're going to get into heaven. And my answer was a seven. Hmm. And I think that really was the moment when I had, I thought I had a relationship with God. I thought I understood God's love. Uh, I thought I knew exactly what it was all about until that question was posed. And in that moment, I took some time to realize, well, I never really understood what it was. And so I'm ever really grateful for that moment Mm. because it really shifted my perspective on what the gospel is and why Jesus actually died on the cross. It wasn't to perfect me, uh, but then it was really to ensure that I understand that he loves me so much that he's willing through his Holy Spirit to onset this sanctification process, which will go on for a couple of, uh, I mean, until I die. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I, uh, man, identity is such a big deal because what you believe is what you'll actually do. Mm Behavior is always followed by belief, right? And so when you believe, not just with your head, I was an intellectual believer for 22 years of my life. But when you believe in these simple truths, like you're valuable in Christ, why are you valuable in Christ? Because you're created in the image of God. In the image of God, he created them male and female, right? That's what Genesis 1, 27, 28 is. And so, man, uh, so many of us forget that we're valuable because our value is found in a paycheck. Our value is found in how we look. Our value is found in a relationship. And so let our value be found in what Christ says we are. We're valuable in Christ because we're made in his image. That's how it intersects the lie that you're not valued based on a paycheck. You're not valued based on a sport or your bench press or how you look externally, right? And so, man, I would say I'm right there with you, bro. You're valuable because you're made in the image and the likeness of God. And then second, I think everybody's trying to find acceptance in this world. And so often we find acceptance in the wrong things again, you know, in uh, our 401k or, uh, you know, this friend group or the way we look, you know, or we have the right clothes. Right. And uh, let me just remind you in Romans 8, 1 through 4, it just says, therefore, there's no there. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. It's what I just got done sharing, the gospel, to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us 
who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And so we are accepted in Christ based on what Christ has done for us, not based on keeping this law. I, I can't be accepted in Christ by me doing enough or being moral enough. I'm, I'm based, I'm, I'm accepted in Christ based on who, what he's done for me. And so I love this story. Do you know Oprah Winfrey? Yes. Yeah, like she did a commencement at Harvard University, right? And uh, she said the most important lesson she had learned in 25 years of talking to people was she found this common denominator. We all, and the common denominator is this, we all want to be validated. We all want to be told that we're okay. Mm. At the end of the day, hey, was that okay? Am I okay? Was that good enough? Right? And so this is what she said. I've done over 35,000 interviews in my career. And as soon as the camera shuts off, everyone always turns to me and inevitably, in their own way, asks the question, was that okay? I heard it from President Bush. I heard it from President Obama. I've heard it from heroes and from housewives. I've heard it from victims and perpetrators of crimes. I've even heard it from Beyonce and all of her Beyonce-ness, right? Wow. They all want to know one thing. Was that okay? And so you got to ask yourself, who defines, is that okay? Wow. Who defines, am I okay? Only God has the right to answer these questions. Wow. Am I allowing him to answer? In Christ, he says, you're accepted. Mm-hmm. You're loved. You are a new creation. The old has passed away. He says that you are um, an heir of the Most High. Wow. You are you are uh, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. First Peter three says, I think it's First Peter three nine. Yeah. So so I mean your your eternity is spent with Him in heaven. Like who defines you? Like and th- this is the cool thing. Like He's not He's not accepting you based on some future version of who you are, or He's not accepting you based on. Um, let me just go get my act together. Let me go clean myself up. He's accepting you based on who he is and what he's done for you. And so, man, I just I just think that's so, so important that he's enough. And and if you believe that, then man, it'll change everything. Wow, that's incredible. <sighs> Thank you so much for sharing so much wisdom nuggets. Uh my last uh, my my kind of parting question to you would be. What advice do we do you have for someone who's currently stuck in the world, you know, chasing after, you know, trying to find themselves in quotes, mm-hmm. you know, trying to find that in their jobs, trying to climb the ladder of co- the corporate ladder of success, you know, trying to go to school to get this many degrees so they feel as if they are enough and they are sufficient. Even some 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 of them might be Christians, mm-hmm. might be, you know, they profess a faith, but then they're still caught up in this worldly ways. What would you tell to such a person? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I think there's always going to be a temptation on this side of eternity to look for identity horizontally. But looking there never delivers what we seek, what you seek, and never results in a harvest of good fruit. So there's always going to be this temptation on this side of eternity to look for our identity horizontally. But looking there never delivers what you seek and never results in the harvest of good fruit. I think I just, I would I would tell that person, hey, um, your describers will ultimately become your definers. And what I mean by that, your describers are uh, those idols that we have a tendency of making. Wow. 
And so like so often my describer was, hey, I, when someone said, Who, hey, what do you do? How would you describe yourself? Well, I'm an athlete. I'm a student. I'm a, uh, I'm a boy. I, I have uh, I have a girlfriend. Right. Mm. I'm a boyfriend of someone. Right. Mm. Um, I have a paycheck or I, I got money in my bank account or. Hey, I can I can buy these J's Jordans, right? Like I I would just start describing all these things, and those things can become your idol if you're not careful. And I'm telling you, learn from people like Tom Brady, learn from Hollywood. It's the most miserable place on the planet. People that uh, wake up on the beach, like have a house on the beach, and um, have planes, right? Have to take a pill every day to be happy, to find joy. And, uh, and so make, make sure that when you start describing yourself, those describers aren't anything horizontally. They're your relationship vertically with God. Because when you allow him to define you, then um, you will find the peace that you're looking for. Because uh, his definers never change. If Christ is your definer, then he's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And all those other things that try to describe your life, those things change. They come and go. That's why, you know, those, that story I showed, shared with you earlier, it's like, hey, you might, you might play uh, 15 years of professional baseball and make a lot of money, but at some point, your career is going to end. And so if you've made your identity baseball, what are you going to do when it's taken away? And so... Uh, at the end of the day, man, you, there's got to be more. Mm. And so be careful that you're not making these things that give you false security, your identity, mm. because at some point they could go. Wow. I mean, me, my wife and I have conversations. It's like, hey, if, if, if God was to take one of us home, would we be okay? That sounds morbid, right? Yeah. But it's like, hey, are we putting our identity in each other, in our marriage? Or what about our kids? Man, my prize, I love my kids, like my prized possession, right? But if I put my kids on the altar of worship, where it's like, hey, God, you can do every anything you want. Don't take my kids. I just made my kid an idol. Wow. Right? That's the whole story of Abraham and Isaac. Mm-hmm. Right? Abraham, God asked Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac. What? To test mm-hmm. whether he was um, fully devoted to God or not. Or was he? did he make his son an idol? And so it's like my wife and I have conversations. What if God allows one of our kids to die. It's like, man, I love my kids, but guess what? My belief, my worldview, my kids were God's way before he ever entrusted them to me. Who created my kids? God did. So he has every right to give and take away. He has every right to take them to heaven when he wants them. And so see how that changes? See how that intersects? Uh, If your identity is Christ, if your identity is, hey, he's my creator, I'm his creation. Even in the most horrific things that I could think about right now, if he was to take my wife or take my kids, I would be okay. Would I be hurt? Would I be in pain? Absolutely. But I wouldn't crumble because at the end of the day, God is God and everything comes from him. So I think that's what I would say is, man, I know I just gave a long 
uh, dissertation no, there, but I hope <laughs> I hope that's helpful for someone. That is very helpful. Yeah, yeah, and we like to conclude by giving an opportunity for those of our listeners who do not have a relationship with Christ. Mm. What does that look like? What does it look like uh, to come from? Hey, I don't need to be enough because I find my sufficiency in Christ. You you will never find your sufficiency of, in Christ until you recognize that you're a sinner separated from God. Like if, you, if you've never had that moment, like I shared earlier, um, where you understand God is perfect, man's not, there's a chasm of separation because of that. Man in his whatever you want to call uh, goodness, I don't, man's not good, but in what man thinks is goodness, he tries to build bridges to get to God through good works or religion. Those bridges fall short. Because if you could get to heaven based on you being a good person or you being religious, going to church every Sunday, what was the point of Jesus dying on the cross? Mm. So that bridge falls short in hell. I know we don't talk about hell much, but Jesus talked about it twice as much as we as, as heaven. And when I say we don't talk about hell much, the American church don't talk about it as much as they should. But here's the deal. If God allowed sin into heaven, what would heaven look like? Hell. It would look like hell. Okay. It would look like this world, cursed broken, disease-stricken. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in God's incredible goodness and love, he sent Jesus 2,000 years ago to live the life that we can never live mm-hmm. in the form of a babe, right? Christmas. That's what we celebrate, the Jesus' birth. Mm-hmm. He grew up in wisdom, wisdom and stature, the Bible says, and he walked this earth. But what, what was different about Jesus than us is he was, he was perfect in thought, word, and action. Mm-hmm. We fall short in those categories, which made him the only eligible one to die on the cross for our sins. And he died on the cross for our sin. And uh, the wrath of God, the scripture says, was poured out on, on, on Jesus. The Bible says for the wages of sin is death, mm-hmm. right? We receive payment for our sin. Um, and that payment is death. But he died the death that we were supposed to die. And he lived the life that we could never live. It's called the great exchange. Mm. I get what Jesus deserves. He got what I just deserve. So he can free your hands, your feet, your eyes, your heart, your back, because justice was paid at the cross. Every time you've looked at something, every time you've you know, sinned with your hands or your feet, every time you harden your heart towards God, every time you turned your back on him, he paid for that wow. when he hung on that tree wow. for your sin. And not, not just that, man. The Bible says in history records that on the third day he rose again to defeat sin and death. And so, man, if you don't have a right relationship with Christ, if you've never experienced that gospel message, what we call good news, then that's where it starts. You got you to cry out to God and say, God, man, I've been faking it. I, I believe you intellectually, but I don't believe you with the heart. I mean, Romans 10, 9 says, says if you confess with your mouth, that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. It says believe with the heart, not the head, right? Mm. That's important because men and women always say what they think, but they do what they believe. And so you can say all day long you believe in God, but your actions, if they're not lined up with who Christ says that we are called to be as Christians, then you should be concerned. Not saying you're not a Christian, but you should be concerned at the at the least, the very least, that man, you're, why is my why are my actions not lined up with what Christ has called me to do? And so, um, man, I think that's the starting point. That's all. You ha- everything has to flow from the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And then once that's set, then man, it's 
okay, how does the gospel intersect? If I'm struggling with, you know, my body being an idol or being the thing that defines me, how does the gospel intersect that? If I'm struggling with money, just, you know, in an unhealthy way, and that's defining me, how do I, inter- how does the gospel intersect that, right? You fill in the blank, but it, it's got to start with you believing in what Christ has done for you. Well, it's got to start with you believing in, in, in what Jesus died, uh, that, that Jesus died on the cross for you. Thank you so much, Josiah. Yeah, we are man. so delighted to man. have you. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank True you. honor and privilege. Yeah. You've contributed. You've contributed so much, and I know through this con, uh, conversation, uh, someone will be convicted uh, to chase after this truth, this uh, identity on. that can only be found in Christ. Until next time, beautiful people. Uh, yeah, remember to subscribe, share, and tell your friends about Jesus. Adios, muchachos. Thank you for tuning in to this episode. We hope you were encouraged and inspired to turn to the only one who can and will satisfy you. If you have any questions, we'd love to hear them out. Feel free to reach us on any social media platform at Shine and Delight. You can also shoot us an email at shineanddelight at outlook.com. Until next time, be kind, love all, share your shine.